don't we pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you for your word and your time together, Lord, uh, the time together we have with you. And, and I just pray, Father, as we open up your word, you will uh, just speak to us, Lord. Father, there's uh, a message tonight for us, a message about intercession, a message about being honest with you, a, a message about being real with you, Lord. Uh, but there's also just a message about pride and human pride. And, and Lord, we uh, it's a disease we all suffer from as we're, we're in this, these bodies that we have. And and how we hate it and how we'd like to overcome. And your word says that we overcome by the Spirit of God that lives within us, Lord. And we rejoice in that. But we also need to hear your truth on these things, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you just reveal and speak to us this evening, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when we left off a couple weeks ago, we were went through th chapters 36 and 37, which are interesting for the book of Isaiah. The book of Jeremiah also has a couple chapters like these, which are very similar to the history books, like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And... Uh, the particular account in 36-37 is the invasion of the Assyrians who came down from the north and th uh, threatened uh, Hezekiah and Judah. And it was a crisis, you could certainly say, of biblical proportions. I mean, the Assyrians had been wiping everybody out and... Uh, they came and they sort of publicly threatened uh, I, uh, Hezekiah and the people. And it was a great uh, study, these chapters, and how Satan attacks the different kinds of lies that he used, mixing up truth and lies, and uh, the discouragement that he'll, he uses and, uh, and this type of thing. Uh, but... In chapter 38, now one thing about the Bible that you should be aware of is not all the time is the Bible written in chronological order. Unusually, uh, well, from time to time it happens. It's a little unusual, but chapter 38 is one example. Actually, chapter 38 of Isaiah, the events here occurred, as we shall see, before the events in chapters 36 and 37. So, you know, in the United States of America and Western European kind of mentality, that's like a big, big no-no. I mean, you never, ever do that. But uh, the, this uh, document was written uh, 2,750 years ago, and uh, they didn't always think the same way. Uh, in, in that sense. And most of the Bible, or books of the Bible, are written in chronological order. But chapter 38, as we will see, definitely was not. And so uh, 
Why don't we just begin? It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Isaiah wept bitterly. I like the King James Version, which says, Hezekiah wept sore. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of, uh, of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. So that verse indicates, uh, tells us this occurrence here happened before the Syrian invasion because he says in verse 6, I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. So um, we know from the same account here, you'll see it in in 2 Kings. We know from 2 Kings, Hezekiah is about 39 years old at this time. And you know, I, when you read things like this, and I was talking a little bit about this this morning, make sure you reflect. You know, if a prophet of the Lord came to you and, 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 and said, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall, surely, you shall die and not live. Now, what, what would your response be? What would your response? You know, a few months ago, we're going to read Isaiah's response. Actually, his prayer is in verses 10 through, through 20, what he was praying. But a few, a few months ago, I was counseling someone, and this person was just completely wasted the last five years of her life. And she knows that she's a Christian. She started off wonderfully. She's just been, you know making one bad choice after another. And we, we started talking about, you know, what if you died today? You know, what would your legacy be? You know, with a re- recent history, uh, with her re- recent history in life being just so tragic and just such, so many bad choices. And, and I just share with her, you know, how wonderful it was to, to serve the Lord and stay with the Lord and not backslide and move forward. And uh, the fact that, you know, we are actually promised uh, uh, to, to see fruit in our life and that just the fruit that has come up, just I've been able to, to see, which has started to, uh, to, to, you know, happen, you know, in our life. And you know, I'd never even thought about this until I was talking with her, but I share with her, you know, if I died today, I would be just totally okay with it because I've seen the hand of the Lord in my life in such a wonderful way. And, you know, I know I'm 48, so I'm older than, than, than most of you, but um, 
it's a wonderful, wonderful peace to have when you know that if someone ever confronted, if, ever, if, someone, if someone ever said to you, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and, and not live. You know, if you, it, it, if you were going to die tomorrow, would you have regrets? And I'm not talking about sin that you did or mistakes that you've made in the past, but just, wow, you know? I am not going out in good order. I, I really am not. There could have been so much more fruit uh, from my life. And, you know, I, I think of Rob Rogers, who was here a couple years ago. He, was the, he spoke here in the spring a year and a half ago. And he, his wife and four kids were in a car. They were hit by a flood, and his wife and four kids drowned. And just how he dealt with it. And he had us a wonderful message. He, his message is, by the grace of God, he could say that when they died, at the time they died, he didn't look back and say, you know, I really have regrets. I wish I did this with them. I wish I did that with them. And, and his whole message is, you need to live a life in such a way uh, that if it ended or the life of someone ended around you, you know, you can say, I, d- I don't have any regrets here. And, and, and here, Hezekiah definitely seems to have regrets. Now, people read this and uh, they, they, you know, they, they try to read into it. It looks like the Lord changed his mind here. You know? Isaiah says, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. And I've, I've read a couple commentators try to twist that around and, and try to say, well, actually that happened. He, he, he did die only much later. Uh, you know? And I can't explain, you know, the Bible says that God does not change. And God does not lie. I can't I- explain these types of things. Here. Like, but, but it does appear to me that his illness has something to do with judgment because with Jonah, it was very similar. He went into Nineveh and he said, he said uh, when he came into Nineveh that the city would be destroyed. He said, this city will be destroyed. Was it 40 days? 40 days, Jonah? 40 days and this city would be destroyed. That's what he said. God relented on the judgment. And, and oftentimes when judgment is proclaimed, it, not, not oftentimes, you know, a, a pattern in the Bible is if the judgment is proclaimed, there, there's this thing. There's still an opportunity to repent even though God said it was going to happen. And... You know, in the case of Nineveh, in the case of Hezekiah, I, I can't really explain this apparent, you know, inconsistency with the fact that the Bible says the Lord does not change his mind and he keeps his word. But it appears to me to be a, sim- a, a situation similar to, to uh, Nineveh where this was a message of judgment. And, and the reason I believe that in Hezekiah's case is because we have discussed that 
how he had been relying upon Egypt and he had been sending a lot of wealth down to Egypt to bring uh, for the Egyptians to come up and help him against the Assyrians, against the enemies. In other words, he had been uh, involved in an unholy alliance. And so, you know, in my opinion, that's what's going on here, that this was a message with, of judgment. That's why you see this, this um, situation where God relents uh, here. But of course, um, you know, there is, is, is also uh, the prayer here. It says, when Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he's weeping bitterly. Um, you know, he's not referencing any of, this, any of these things about, you know, going down to Egypt or anything like that. But the Lord says, it says in verse five, uh, five, uh, 5, says the Lord heard his prayer and the Lord saw his, his tears. And so the Lord had compassion there. And, uh, you know, you look at this prayer and... We do know that aside from this thing of trusting in Egypt and that unholy alliance that he, he entered into, we do know from uh, the Bible, from uh, from uh, First Kings or rather Second Kings, that he was a righteous man. I mean, if you look at the whole picture of his life, he was being honest here. He did walk before the Lord in truth and with a loyal heart. His father Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings that ever reigned in, in Judah or even in Israel in the north, in the ten tribes in the north. Terrible, terrible wickedness in the land that Hezekiah turned around and he opened up the temple which, which had been shut by his father. He started worship. He was a wonderful king. So the overall picture here, it's true. He had walked before the Lord in truth and with a loyal heart. We look at such a prayer, and, and what are we supposed to think of it? Um, you know, some people have really criticized this prayer. You know, what do you mean going to the Lord and saying, "God, I've, I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart." You know, that's not how you're supposed to pray. But you know, I love it for its honesty, and we're supposed to just be honest before the Lord. And it, it is a wonderful picture. And so many prayers uh, in the Psalms uh, are like this too. I mean, they may be praying things that at the end of the day, when we're in a safe place and totally healthy with no threat in our life, we can look at it and say, you know, that's not how you're, you're supposed to pray. But that's not the life he was in at the moment. He was in, in, a, in a place where he was filled with fear, and he's just being honest before the Lord. So that is, a, uh, that is a, just a lesson for us. I think we can agree, though, um, that, you know, when we're praying to the Lord, we can't plead our good works. We just can't. Um, you know, we deserve death. We deserve far worse than death. And at the end of the day, we can only come before the Lord because of the blood of Jesus. 
covering our sin and the righteousness that we have in him. But, you know, he was living under the old covenant, Hezekiah was, and, uh, and you know, it was a little different there. But uh, you do have other people like Nehemiah, a righteous man, praying a very similar prayer at the end of uh, Nehemiah. So uh, it's good to be, it's a wonderful example of just being open and honest before the Lord. He's just crying out to God and he's, uh, he's uh, weeping bitterly here. And so God grants him 15 years, 15 years. And, um, you know, he, he gave him uh, an extended life and he also gave him a motivation to, to walk right with God. And it could be the, him granting this prayer that really motivated him to do the right thing when his city was surrounded by Assyria and to just go before the Lord and cry out. In other words, it may have been the very thing which motivated him to, to do what he needed to do at that terrible, during that terrible crisis. And so um, I, um, I uh, you know, he, yeah, yeah so, so 15 years uh, he is given. And um, he, this is the prayer in verse 10. It says, I said, so he, uh, actually this prayer is after he had recru- recovered. This is, um, you know, what, what he cried out after he recovered. So this is the writing, verse 9, of King Hezekiah when he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. It says, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. So he is sort of, after the fact, recounting what his bitter prayer was. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm going to die. And I said, I shall not see Yah or Jehovah, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the, uh, of the world. My lifespan is gone. Take it from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you made an end of me like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Again, he's reciting his prayer. He's reciting the, the, the prayer of my heart. So, a lot of this does appear to be, a lot of his bitter tears that we read about in verse 3 appear to be really um, about just fear, you know, fear of dying. I don't want li- to die. I'm in the middle of my life. I'm in the prime of life. Uh, we do know that at this time he did not have, uh, there was not an heir to the throne. Now, the fact that he lived 15 years longer, he, he, he did, uh, he, he and his wife gave birth to um, an heir to the throne who turned out to be 
incredibly wicked. So Manasseh. So some people believe he never should have been even asking to. He should have just accepted uh, the fact that God told me he was going to die and go to the grave, and he never should have. Um, he never should have uh, prayed it in the first place. But um, here he's reciting his his prayer, and in verse fifteen he says, "What shall I say? He has both spoken to me, and he himself has done it." So he's he's just reciting, he's praising God that God uh, answered his prayer. He said, "I shall walk carefully all my years." I shall walk carefully all my years. O Lord, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. So what that appears to mean there, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness that through the trial, just as we've been talking about in the book of James, through the bitterness, enduring through it, just a peace of God resulted in it. In the middle of verse 17, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for uh, your truth, the living, the living man, he shall praise. It's rather the, verse nineteen. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to the children. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. So he's giving praise to the Lord. And, you know, in verse 15, again, it says, I shall walk carefully all my years. And so it is true that after this event, at least at the time where the, the city of Jerusalem was attacked, you know, he, he was careful to uh, follow the Lord. And it could be at this time that he gave up trying to make an alliance with, uh, with Egypt. We will read in the next chapter, though, that uh, he makes uh, really a terrible, foolish mistake and, and sins, actually. And, and, you know, the one thing that I've been careful not to do in my life just as a Christian is make, make commitments to the Lord. <laughs> I promise, Lord, I'll never do this again for the rest of my life. When I hear people do that now, I shudder because... You know what it it it, it usually cov- promises like that are usually coming from the flesh. You know the best thing that we can do is God, I need your grace, and by your grace, I will do, continue to abide. But you know he 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 says, I shall walk carefully all the all my years. We will see in the next chapter. He really blows it, but um, yeah, he's just praising. Uh, the Lord here. He's, he's pray, praising the Lord, and we are reminded yet again, as we were in previous chapters, that prayer matters. Prayer matters. It's interesting, um, in verses 7 and 8, I sort of skipped over that. It says, and this is the sign to you. So this is God speaking to Hezekiah, 
telling him, yes, I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to give you a sign just to, to confirm to you that I'm going to heal you. And so he gives this sign. He says, and this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow of the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial, on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. So quite a remarkable miracle that was. Um, And it it was just such an amazing, to me that was just such an amazing just gift to him. Like why not just heal the guy? Why why do you give him this as well? And, And this is just sort of an inexplicable gift that the Lord just gives him. And I forget, there's a couple people there's, uh, that have, have done studies of things in the Bible and, and, uh, and actually point to this particular one at a time where all kinds of torrential uh, geological uh, disasters happen. And at a certain point, roughly at about this time, and they surmise that maybe that was a result of this, you know, sundial, the shade, basically the sundial going backward. In other words, uh, you know, it, it, how exactly it happened, we don't know. We just know, it, you know, it was whatever 10 degrees was, it went from 5 o'clock to 4 o'clock as far as the sun was concerned. And um, so we, you know, we don't really have any way of, of knowing whether some of these things are true, that, uh, of, but the people have actually uh, written uh, chapters uh, in books about this uh, thing. But this extraordinary um, picture into the life of Hezekiah, who was, um, you know, a wonderful... He was a, uh, Hezekiah was a wonderful king. Now, uh, sometimes people ask, and on Sunday nights we, we do like to go into detail here, uh, and particularly some of the things that, um, that don't, don't seem quite right. You know, it says in verse 18, for Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you. We know that's not true. So why is Hezekiah saying that? Actually, in death we do praise the Lord. We Praise God. Uh, and, you know, as you go through the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, there was sort of, there was a recognition that the Sheol, as we read here, was like a place for the dead. Um, or you could also be, uh, actually translate it, the, the, the grave. They didn't really have a full picture of heaven and the afterlife in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is progressive revelation uh, in the sense that, you know, man was, Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from God, Uh, sin defiled their understanding completely at the time of Abraham, actually. The knowledge of God was almost completely cut off from the world, and God, through the nation of Israel, gradually brought, you know, began to reveal himself, bringing them back, revealing to them through Scripture who he was. The Bible says that 
Jesus brought death and immortality to light through the gospel, uh, it says. In the book of um, uh, 1 Timothy. In, in other words, he made it really clear. The, 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 the whole uh, picture of what happens in the afterlife. You didn't have that. Uh, in actually, it's Second Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, chapter one, verse ten, uh, says this: that Christ, our Savior, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And, and, and so, you know, we see in Jesus' story of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, the story that Jesus tells that there was uh, in Shoal a, a sort of like a holding place for the dead. And on, on, there was Abraham's bosom where uh, people who believed in God went, but the wicked and the unbelievers went to a place of torment. And what did it say in there? It says there was a chasm in between Abraham's bosom and where the place of torment was that no man could pass either way. There was in the Old Testament, you know, this sense that, yes, they would see God. You see that, and I think in Psalm 139, David said, I could go to, to, to Sheol, to the grave, and, and I will see you there. He does say that, but there's not a whole lot of detail. At that time, Jesus hadn't come yet. There wasn't that full understanding of, 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 of the fact that... Um, you know, the afterlife was really uh, a blessed place where there people would praise God. That, you know, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, the, the immortality was, was brought to light. But, you know, this part of the reason that Hezekiah has bitter tears, we can't judge him. He didn't have the same understanding of, of the afterlife that we've been given. Remember, the, in, in the New Testament, it says that angel, the prophets you know, search the scriptures wanting to know the things better. And the angels long to look into these things. And what was revealed to us in the New Testament is just immeasurable riches. Hezekiah didn't have a lot of that. And that's why he's saying, you know, death cannot praise you. Those who go down, verse 18, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. He says, the living, the living man, he shall praise you. Actually, in heaven, there's going to be so much better worship than we could have ever imagined or experienced on planet Earth. He doesn't know that, though. And so, again, he's just being uh, honest here. Uh, he's being honest before uh, uh, the Lord when he is, he's praising him. And, uh, you know, that... God inhabits praise. He does. He he inhabits praise. It's a wonderful thing to uh, praise the Lord. In verses 21 and 22, here's an interesting couple of verses. Isaiah has had, now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had, had said, 
what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So, you know, in verse 21, I don't know, some of you doctors may know, I don't know that figs have healing properties. Do figs have healing properties? I don't know. Do do figs have healing properties? I don't know if, if figs here, you know, Jesus took some spit and he put it on someone's eyes, and, and, and there was healing. So I don't know if it was, uh, you know, there were healing properties there. Certainly the Bible, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with seeking medical attention. Uh, but uh, this was, uh, you know, Isaiah had him put a, a lump of figs on him. Whether there was some sort of medicinal value to that or not, I don't know. I do, we do know that the Lord healed him uh, here and gave him... 15 uh, extra years on his life. Okay, uh, why don't we go right into chapter 39 at that time. Merodach Baladan. And so when you, when you, when you read the this short phrase at that time again what happens here is much much later in his life and so at that time meaning at at the time of hezekiah um not uh, I, I i take that back this did happen this did happen right after he says um he says here in verse 1 says at that time Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And so, again, chapters 38 and 39 happen before the previous chapters, but these these two chapters happen in in succession. They are chronological. And Hezekiah was pleased with them. And he showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. It's kind of almost humorous there. He doesn't realize that. It's like not a good thing to be telling this guy. But he's just boasting. Yeah, I showed him everything. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the uh, king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Um, You know, this, this 
was, first of all, again, notice how short-lived his commitment was. I shall walk carefully all my days. This is happening shortly after. And bringing, you know, the the Babylonians um, had come to him. It says in verse 2, he was pleased with the fact they came to him. At the time, the Babylonians were, the Syrians were the world power. They sort of controlled the world. The Babylonians were a rising power who were beginning to give the Assyrians grief uh, at that time. But nothing like they would be 100, 150 years later under Nebuchadnezzar, which they, the Babylonians, would be the world power. But here, Hezekiah, it says he was pleased. In other words, he appears to be flattered and filled with pride in a, in a wrong way. Wow, these people are giving me attention here. They're giving me attention. And he goes, um, you know, to, and, and, and it says he, in verse 2, he shows them the house of his treasure, just all the silver and gold, the, the, you know, the spices, the precious ointments, all his armory. He's basically showing off here. He is impressed that this nation who is at this point, uh, in terms of military might, a greater nation than him, and he is, he's boasting, he's showing off. And, and you know what the, one of the most foolish things of boasting is in so many occasions? And you know, we all have it in our flesh. We want to impress people. But here, more likely than not, these people aren't impressed. <laughs> I mean, they come from a place which, which, was far richer, was, uh, had many more, much more gold, much more silver. But, and that's the foolish thing about our boasting so often. You know, we'll get around a, por- a, a person who is, you know, has prestige or uh, more, po- you know, power and influence than us and we'll, we'll boast about things we've done. And so oftentimes, you know, it, particularly in the world, they don't care. <laughs> they don't even care, uh, but but and in which what makes this uh, so uh, so foolish and so you know this this is why you know uh, 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 Isaiah in a sense he had struggled with the Lord and prevailed in in chapter thirty eight just like Jacob struggled with the Lord and prevailed in the Old Testament he he wrestled with God all night and it says that he prevailed he prevailed in his prayer he, it was just a spiritual victory for him in chapter thirty eight he was on a mountaintop you could even say but this is why you know it's so important in times of victory when we're doing well we need to be as careful as ever. Because here, you know, Satan will just come against you uh, in ways that, you know, we sort of never ex- expect. And, uh, you know, the, 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 if, if the Lord blesses you, if he chooses to bless you materially, if he chooses to make you rich, don't flaunt it. That was all over James chapter 5 this morning, but here we have it again. It's not for flaunting. It's, it's certainly, it's, it may be for you to, to, to enjoy, uh, but it's not to be flaunted. And so uh, 
a lot of the chapters between now and the end of Isaiah are about prophecies concerning the rise of Babylon and how Babylon would come one day and wipe out uh, wipe out Jerusalem. And that's why there are commentators who are critical of the Bible who, you know, say that, oh, this had to be written by a different person because, you know, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah didn't live at the time of Babylon and he couldn't have known all these things about Babylon were going to happen. No, that's the point. He's a prophet. And that's the whole thing, you know, sort of deal. But but anyway, you know, that's what people do when they get a hold of the Bible because they want to, want to do, they don't want to submit to it, so they try to prove it wrong. But here is the first prophecy that you know Isaiah. Um, it, it's interesting here. He doesn't say to Hezekiah, "Because you have done this, this is what's going to happen." He just says, "You know." You're showing off to the wrong people because it wasn't because of Hezekiah's sin that Babylon came in. It was because of Manasseh's sin, his son, and the sin of the who who his son started, you know, sacrificing his children to idols, sacrificing them in the fire, introducing all kinds of terrible, terrible worship of pagan gods in his city. That was the reason that eventually. Babylon would come on. That Israel just laid hold of idolatry and they rebelled against God repeatedly over and over and over again. It wasn't because Hezekiah showed off his treasures. But what Isaiah is saying here is you're really showing off to, uh, you know, to the wrong people. You shouldn't be showing off at all. But these particular people you're showing off to, you really shouldn't be showing off to them because actually they're going to come in and they're going to plunder you. They're going to take some of your uh, descendants away, and um, they're going to make them eunuchs. They're going to be castrated. Now, some people think it, it, the the reference to eunuchs there is proof that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were eunuchs. They probably were, because that's what uh, Babylonian kings did when they brought people into their court, and and it was a, a method uh, they thought of. Uh, forcing people or encouraging them very strongly to uh, to have allegiance uh, to them, and uh, because you know why would you take over a, a, a king and overthrow a king if you have no ability to you know have have progeny to have descendants, and so um, but he you know he he prophesies here. Uh, about, you know, one day Babylon's going to come in. So because of Hezekiah and the faithfulness of Hezekiah, the Lord turned back Assyria. But 150 years later, the Babylonians would come in and Jerusalem would be wiped out, just like what what was prophesied. And they would be exiled to Babylon for 70 years. Then they would return. But, you know, the temple would be destroyed. Jerusalem would be... uh, uh, you know, ruined and, you know, actually we're not going to get too far into it, but, you know, chapter 40, verse 1, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. 
speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is really, uh, some commentators believe, really applies to the people who are in ex- who would one day be in exile in Babylon, who are under tremendous torment um, because they've been taken away. And comfort, yes, comfort my people. Where's that come from, by the way? That's right. First, first verse or first spoken lyrics, I guess you would say, of Handel's Messiah. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. And so we will pick that up when we continue in Isaiah.